heroes of the Bible and the giants, Moses. Let's re-familiarize ourselves with the scriptures. Scriptures familiar, I'm sure. We're reading together from Exodus chapter 3. And we'll read the first 10 verses. Exodus 3, the verse, first 10 verses. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horab, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has heard me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians that they are pressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This, my friends, is the word of God. If it is the word of God, then surely it demands something of our time and our attention this morning. May God have a blessing upon his word. Without question, Moses faced many giants during his time in active ministerial service. A rebellious people in the Israelites, a powerful adversary in the Egyptians, a hostile environment in the wilderness, to name just a few. But this morning, I want to concentrate on arguably his most difficult giant himself, the giant of himself. Upon the call of God, Moses threw excuse after excuse in God's direction in an attempt to duck, to avoid the divine call. God was calling Moses to become the leader of a nation the people of Israel, and he was calling him today, so to speak. 
And upon hearing the initial call at least, his response in verse 4 of Exodus chapter 3 was initially encouraging. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Initially, an encouraging response. Tragically, however, Moses' initial enthusiasm soon gives way to reticence and to rebellion. In short, he endeavors to duck the call of God. How many of us, friends, have heard the initial call of God upon our lives? Perhaps initially a call unto salvation, of course. Subsequent to that, a call unto service. We've heard the initial call of God. We've heard the still small voice of the Holy Spirit whispering in our inner being. And the initial response was warm. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm here. But then God begins to articulate the nature of that call. What that call might in real terms mean for us. And like Moses, we become somewhat reticent all of a sudden. We become reluctant. We endeavor to to avoid the call of God. Moses, facing his, his, his own giants in himself, offers at least at this juncture in the story, anyhow, four lame excuses why he was not going to do what God wanted him to do. As he, whilst I, whilst I'm tempted to judge Moses, it's interesting, as we focus upon the excuses, I can almost hear myself uttering the very same in God's direction. So be careful not to judge, brethren, because you might utter the very same. Let's look at these four excuses quickly and see if they resonate in our own hearts and lives upon the receipt of the call of God. The first excuse Moses offered was, I'm not qualified, God. I'm not qualified, Moses said to God in chapter 3, verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses endeavors to point out what God fundamentally already knew, of course. He, 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 He sought to point out to God that he was small, insignificant, a weak person. And he offered this as an excuse. Who am I? I'm not qualified, God, to go to Pharaoh. I don't have, if you like, the academic qualifications, Father. I don't have uh, that university degree in theology. I don't know the original languages of Greek and, and Hebrew, Father. I'm not qualified. I don't know the dynamics of homiletics. 
I don't necessarily understand the fundamentals of hermeneutics. I'm not particularly good when grappling with exegesis of the text. I am not qualified. God. God's answer to this particular tactic, this particular giant that sat, it seems, on Moses' shoulder was, well, arguably agreement. Yes, Moses, I agree, you're not. You're not qualified. But he says to him, verse 12, I will be with you. You see, in himself, Moses wasn't qualified. But with God, with God, he was. Moses said, I'm not qualified. God said, I will be with you. My friend, is this the giant sitting on your shoulder? As you hear the voice of God calling unto salvation, as you hear the voice of God ushering you into Christian service. For every one of us remember our call to serve. That's why we're here. We're not called to simply sit in our chairs and keep them warm from Sunday to Sunday, good though that is. We are called to serve. That's why Graham Kendrick says, so let us learn how to serve and in our lives enthrone him each other's needs to prefer, for it is Christ we are serving. We're called to serve, not to sit. We're called to serve, not just to, to listen. We're called to serve. And as we hear the voice of God, maybe afresh this morning, calling us unto service, maybe the giant sat on our shoulder is this one. But I'm not qualified. And God says, yes, my child, I know you're not. But I will be with you. The second excuse that he offered was, I'm not authorized. I'm not authorized, God. He protests in chapter 3, verse 13. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? The New Living Translation puts it like this. If they say, who sent you? What right do you have to come and talk to us who authorized you? What shall I say? I'm an authorized God. I don't have the appropriate ministerial credentials from the Baptist Union. I'm not authorized. I don't have a, a, a written letter from the pastor to say that I should be doing X, Y, and Z. I'm not authorized. That was his excuse. I'm not authorized. Maybe this is the excuse you're offering to God this morning. It's okay, Father. I, I hear what you say, but, but I'm not authorized. God introduces his name here. Fascinating, isn't it? As Moses offers the excuse of a lack of authority, God gives him authority how? By introducing his name. Fascinating study. We haven't the time really, but we could spend days in this. In the Bible, of course, names express the nature and the character of a person. That is certainly true when God gives us his name. 
He says in verse 14, I am who I am. This is what you will say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Confused? What's God saying there? How does that reflect the authority of God? Well, when God says to Moses, I am that which I am, he is in effect saying, tell them that the eternally self-existent, pre-existent, immutable, immortal, invisible, the only wise creator God, the very same, has given you his authority. Woohoo! Wow! Isn't that something? The very same God who spoke the world into existence by the power of his word was saying to Moses, Moses, I give you authority. Christ, of course, sought to encourage his disciples in, in the same way, didn't he? He says, all authority, all authority, divine authority has been given to me. Go you therefore. Now Jesus, of course, was speaking about the authority of God the Father. That was entrusted to him as God the Son. An authority, of course, that he knew as being the second person of the Trinity before time began. Because he, with the Father, was eternally, is eternally self-existent. All this authority, Jesus says, I have been given, now you go. What a lame excuse, if you don't mind me saying. If that's the giant on your shoulder, if that's the excuse you're throwing towards heaven this morning. What a lame, lame excuse. I don't have authority. My friends. You have the most extraordinary authority that is entrusted to any human being. The authority of God. I am the Almighty God has sent you. I am. Moses says, I'm not authorized. God says, but I'm authorizing you. I tell you, that trumps the authority given me by the Baptist Union. I've got a certificate somewhere in the loft by the Baptist Union, signed by, by the president at the time, David Coffey, I think it was. And Oh, it gives me authority. No. I've got a greater authority given me in this wonderful scripture. A greater authority. And this authority belongs to me, your pastor, but it belongs to you. The I am says I sent you. So don't dare, my friends, say to God, I, I, I'm not authorized. There's your authority. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Thirdly, he says, but I'm not believable. I'm not believable. He says in verse Verse 1 of chapter 4, we didn't read it, but chapter 4, verse 1, if you can pull it up, Tony. What if they do not believe me? Oh, here's a biggie, isn't it? Here's a big giant sat on the shoulder of many a Christian this morning. Feeling small, feeling insignificant, feeling ill-equipped and unqualified, feeling without authority. But, but no one's 
going to believe me. God says, go and make disciples of all nations. But, 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 God, but God, no one's going to believe me. Go and tell your, your friends and your neighbors that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Oh, but, but God, but God, no one's going to believe me. This is a big giant. Sat on many a shoulder. I tell you, friends, it renders many a Christian ineffective. Ineffective throughout their Christian lives. But, 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 but no one's going to believe me. No one's going to listen to me, God. When they say, the Lord didn't appear to, to you. No one's going to believe me. God only calls those with dynamic personalities. God only calls those with, with a particular stature. Like the kind of stature that demands attention. You know what I mean. God only calls those who are particularly good looking like your pastor. God only... What? God, no, no. God only calls those who are particularly well dressed like your pastor. God only calls those with a particular sense of style. Is that right? God only calls those with a particular sense of academic acumen and, and ability. God only, God only calls these types. God doesn't call me. <sighs> Who have you been listening to? What book have you been reading? You've been listening to voices that aren't God's. And you've been reading any book except this one. You look throughout the, the history of, the, of God's people, Israel, and the history of God's people, the Christian church. God calls pretty ordinary people. He doesn't call those who are particularly articulate. He doesn't call those who are particularly dynamic. He doesn't call those who are particularly good looking. He rebuked those who, who looked at, the, at uh, Jesse's sons, didn't he? And says, oh, look at him, he's tall. He's, he's handsome. He, he's going to be God's choice. And God says, no, no, no. Man looks at the outward appearance. God. God looks at the heart. Don't think for one minute, my friends, that because you don't have a dynamic personality or because you're not naturally witty or only we scousers are naturally witty. Comes with the territory. We have to learn to laugh at ourselves quite early on as it happens, so. You know, and God, God calls every one of us. I am not believable. That's the enemy. You see, he's convinced you that when you open your mouth and bear testimony, people will laugh. He's convinced you that you've got absolutely nothing to offer the kingdom of God. You're not going to believe. You're not believable. He's convinced you of all these things. You're listening to the wrong voice. You're reading the wrong. You're reading the wrong books. God says to Moses, listen Moses, you weren't listening to me. I've already told you, I've already said to you, the elders of Israel will listen. Interesting. It's almost as if Moses here gives God a vote of no confidence, isn't it? I wonder how many Christians are sat in pews up and down this land in this fur age of ours who are giving God a vote of no confidence. 
Because God has said, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. And we sit there and think, oh, no, 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 I'm not believable. God has said, my strength will, will, will give you all that is necessary. All that is necessary for life and for living, for, for testimony and for serving. And we're sat there thinking, well, I don't really, do I really believe that? Our pews are full of Christians, inverted commas, professing faith, those who, who are giving God a vote of no confidence. God has said, God rebukes Moses now. It's almost as if he's losing patience with him. Moses, have I not already told you? The elders will listen. <laughs> Isn't God good? Isn't God long-suffering? Isn't he patient with us? With Moses, he was so patient, he gave him a sign. Throw down your staff. Throw it down. And God is good like that, isn't he? He sees our lack of faith. He sees this giant shoulder, giant sat on our shoulder, and we, we think we're unbelievable. Uh, and he gives us a sign. The greatest sign ever given to humankind throughout the history of the world. The sign? Three days, three days, as Jonah was in the mouth, in the belly of the fish, so Christ was in the grave. But on the third day, he rose victorious over the grave. What a sign. What a sign. Folklore, you say. History, I say. History, I say. Oh, they tried their best, did they not, to quash the reality of Christ's resurrection. The Roman authorities tried their best. The, the Orthodox Jews, they tried their best. Throughout the history of the Christian church, they tried their best to quash the reality of the resurrection of Christ. But God gave us a sign, my friends. And the reality remains. Three days, and on the third day, He would rise from the dead. And you say, how do I know He lives? He lives within my heart. My friends, if Christ hadn't risen from the dead, then I wouldn't have the witness of the Holy Spirit as I have it today, that within my heart He reigns. He resides. He equips. God's given us a sign. It's like no other sign. Hallelujah. It's better than the sign given Moses. Throw down the staff. Pa! Pa! That's old hack, isn't it? Throw down the staff. God has given us a sign. He has filled us with His Holy Spirit. He's made us dynamic by the power, the dunamis, of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Wow, what a sign. How dare we sit in our pews and say to God, I'm not believable. I'm not dynamic. <laughs> God's given us a sign. If you're in Christ this morning, and Christ by His Holy Spirit is in you, then I'm looking at the most dynamic individuals on the face of God's planet. Yeah, okay. Shall I say that again? Did you get it? I am looking at the most dynamic individuals on the face of God's earth. Why? Because you were born in Wales? Good though that is? Not at all. Why? Because you can talk Welsh? Good though that is? Not at all. Why? Because you can speak English? Good though that is? Not at all. Why am I looking at the most dynamic people on the face of God's planet? Because God has given you the power, the dunamis of His Holy Spirit. Paul says, Christ in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Wow. That's as dynamic as any human being can be. 
How dare we sit in our pews and say, I am not believable. I'm boring. I'm not particularly zealous. I'm not particularly attractive. I have no dynamic personality. I have no academic acumen. How dare we sit here excusing ourselves thus? And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And he will give you a power from on high. Was he just speaking to the twelve? No, not at all. Not at all. I don't, I don't believe in a cessationist theology. Oh, it's popular in some circles, isn't it? Cessationism. The blessings that were enjoyed by the first century Christians were for the first century Christians alone. Nonsense. My Bible doesn't teach me that. The dynamic power enjoyed by the first Christians is the same dynamic power enjoyed by every single Christian in this dispensation of the Holy Spirit. Christ is still here by His Holy Spirit, friends. Isn't that wonderful? I'm looking at the most dynamic bunch of people on the face of this planet. My friends, will God not make us dynamic? Oh, you say, well, I'm British. I pride myself in my stiff upper lip. It's sad, isn't it? There's an element of truth in that. We laugh at it, but there's an element of truth in it. We've allowed the enemy to convince us that it's not proper to be dynamic. Not proper to, to be excited. It's not proper to, to, to be enthusiastic. It's not proper to be zealous for the sake of the gospel. It's not proper. We, we pride ourselves in our stiff upper lip. We're proper. I tell you, a proper bunch of Christians is not going to particularly affect the community of Trachlan with the wonderful gospel of grace, is it? Now we can dot every theological line, cross every theological T, and meanwhile, people out there are going to hell. But we congratulate ourselves on our orthodoxy, don't we? Oh, we're orthodox. <laughs> I'm reformed. My theology, bang on. But they're still going to hell. Oh, my friends, God save us from orthodoxy. There's an argument that the greatest weapon forged against the Christian church in this day and age is, is the rise of Islam, Islamic fundamentalism. That's a threat, I, I, I grant you, but I believe the greatest threat against the Christian church in this day and age is dead orthodoxy, dead fundamentalism. This is the way we've always done it, Pastor. Don't go there, Pastor. And the church is dying. Throughout these valleys of ours, the churches are dying. Although they pride themselves on their dead orthodoxy. My friends, we're dynamic. Moses says, oh, but God, they won't believe me. And God said, listen, Moses, I've already told you. I'll give you a sign. Wow. And Moses, he, he saw that sign. Friends, what a sign we have. The Holy Spirit residing within the heart and life of the child of God. What a sign. What a sign that is. My friends, it was after Pentecost, wasn't it, when the Holy Spirit came, that, that there was an explosion of, 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 of amazing things as the church was birthed. Why do, we, why do we settle for anything less than such an explosion? We need such an explosion in the 21st century. All these centuries on. We need the same explosion. The Holy Spirit came in power and they spoke in tongues. Ooh, don't, don't mention the word tongues, Pastor. Ooh. 
And, and they spoke in tongues. And, and everybody there, and they were there from different places and languages, they all heard them in their own tongue. And Peter got up. Peter, what a transformation in the man. Just three days earlier, he was denying Christ three times. He gets up, doesn't he? And, and, he, and he preaches one of the best sermons I've ever, I've ever, I've ever, I've ever read. He's, he's, he's preaching with, with great authority. He understands the Old Testament scriptures. He quotes the prophet Joel, more than three days, of course. But and it's amazing, isn't it? What a transformation. What brought that transformation? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. We are dynamic Christians. Final excuse, quickly, just to finish. Oh, I'm not articulate. We've touched on this. I'm not articulate, God. Chapter 4, verse 10, the Lord, he said to the Lord, Lord, I've, I've never been eloquent. <laughs> I offered this excuse. I was a scouser. Have you come across many eloquent scousers? Can't understand the word they say. Brought up on the streets of Toxteth. There's a particular language there, and it ain't eloquent. And, and the Lord called me into ministry, and I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm a scouser from, from Toxteth. Nothing eloquent about me at all. And God said, listen, <laughs> who gave you your voice? Not a particularly good voice, I grant you. And your accent pff, leaves much to be desired. But who gave you? Who gave you your voice? How dare you, Doug and sit in that pew. And I was about there, just in front of David, when God called me. Not in this church. Trinity Church in Liverpool. Willie Hamilton was preaching. He was a missionary in Guayaquil with OMS International in Ecuador. And I was about there, and I, got, I said to God, God, I, I, I can't string two sentences together. I can't string two words together. I can't speak the English language. God says, you, who, I gave you your voice. How dare you say to me that you're not articulate. And God rebukes Moses. I gave you your voice, he says. How dare you, friends. Moses is biggest giant was himself. And he offered excuse after excuse after excuse. Maybe that's your giant and mine this morning. God is saying, my child, I've got a job for you. It's a precious, it's a special job. You're a child of the King of Kings and of the Lord of Lords. I've got a job for you. It's a special job. Don't offer your excuses. God already knows. Just offer him a surrendered heart. A surrendered heart. That's all that he wants. Surrendered heart. Back home in my home church in Liverpool, we used to sing from the Redemption Hymnal, as you know. An old hymn by Elsie Yale. Written around about 1910, 1911, 1912. <sighs> Let me remind you of it. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. Tis a task the Master just for you has planned. Haste to do his bidding, yield him service true. There's a work for Jesus, none but you can do. There's a work for Jesus, humble though it be. Tis the very service he would ask of thee. Go where fields are whitened and the laborers few. There's a work for Jesus, none but you can do. There's a work for Jesus, precious souls to bring. Tell them of his mercies, tell them of your king. Faint not, grow not weary, he will strength renew. There's a work for Jesus, none but you can do my friends that's the truth there's a work for Jesus none but you 
can do. People dying in their sin are dependent this morning on your obedience to the voice of God. Wow. People dying in their sin this morning are dependent upon your obedience to the call of God. My friends, the situation is so serious. How dare we offer our excuses to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. As he said to Moses, I will be with you. So he will be with us. And we can say to those giants, get thee behind me, Satan. He that is within me is greater than he that is in the world. And my friends, this place next week, the week after, it'll be full. It'll be full, why? Because you were true to the call of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this challenging scripture, but also wonderfully encouraging. Forgive us, Father, oftentimes we... Throw our excuses in your direction. You must look down from heaven in despair. Despair. For you have given us a sign in three days. And on the third day Christ rose. Hallelujah. And he liveth in me. Oh, Father, inspire us afresh. Help us to respond to your word positively, affirmatively, yielding our lives, giving ourselves for the one who gave himself. For your kingdom's sake and for the salvation of souls. Amen.